You're listening to the Future Sense podcast. You can find us online at futuresense.it. So I'm curious to get into something that I've been thinking about for a while, and I'm, I really wanted to bring this up to you to kind of see what you think of it. And I don't know how much of this stuff uh, you'll be aware of or how well I'll be able to articulate this um, kind of question, but I have been pretty aware and exploring a lot of different information surrounding um, some of the inconsistencies and manipulative aspects of this whole COVID-19 scenario. And I know you've spoke a little bit about, you know, it seems that there's like an economic reset kind of happening. And I've been diving into a lot of information about the the great reset, these ideas about you know, people putting out these books and documents about these plans that for certain, you know, technological uh, things and changes that people want to make to the, the you know, the way we live in various different ways to the economy, to the energy systems, to the food system, to yeah. biometric IDs and all of the, these things. And um, there's certainly, I think for a lot of people, a certain paranoia about, um, global, like uh, a deep state and a global domination and a new world order and all these things. And understandably so it can be a a scary thing in it. Um, but I also recognize like for me personally, I, I feel like when I get a bird's eye view on these sort of things, I feel like, um, ultimately it's all sort of a part of the tension that pushes us to evolve, you know, to these, these next layers of, of sort of coping capacity. But what I'm about is, um, you know, for one, how much of this stuff you kind of entertain or get into or, or research just to kind of be informed as to what's going on. I know like Victoria in Australia has had some pretty intense lockdown measures and different things that seem to be way out of proportion for what's going on as far as, uh, the death tolls or anything from COVID-19. And I've been sort of racking my brain as far as, you know, some of these plans and things that seem to be laid out as far as certain groups that want to sort of take control of certain things and have plans. I guess, I, I guess what I'm kind of struggling with is where do you see some of these, uh, you know, the thing, a thing like the great, the great reset or the, the build back better or the agenda 2030, um, the UN stuff, what layer of consciousness are these things coming from? They're a combination of layers. Um, and the reason I don't talk about this stuff much is because many, many years ago when I was consulting as a, a change management consultant in the corporate sector, I had a a big uh, sort of flash of light happen and I got this message saying stop trying to fix the old things they're broke and they're going to break mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. actually shift your attention to supporting what's new you know and what's growing and what's coming next and so that's why I don't spend a lot of time talking about these structures that are uh, desperately trying to hang on to power and you know doing the most outrageous things to to uh, to try and make that happen but inevitably destined to fail in the process 
Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to organizations um, and groups, it's true that you'll always find a mixture of value systems in these groups because people join them for different reasons and people perceive and are attracted to them for reasons associated with their own value system. You know, So um, a good example is the, the United Nations just put out a, a video recently, I think it was in September, which is their, their latest agenda video. And it's a real mixed bag in terms of values. I mean, it's, it's full of a lot of very appropriate and important information about the damage that we're doing to the earth and how we need to change our behavior. But that's interspersed with absolutely authoritarian statements like, this must change you must support us and all this kind of stuff, you know. Yep. Uh, so it's a real mixed bag in terms of value systems. And there's there's clearly a lot of layer four authoritarian stuff coming through there, which is obviously reflecting people who are inside the organization, you know, and shaping it from that particular value system. There's a lot of really good stuff that's coming from more complex value systems as well. That's very appropriate. And you've got to appreciate that when you look at all of these different pushes, particularly the globalist stuff, um, is understand that, okay, these organizations are going to have a mixture of people in them. Those people are going to come from a mixture of different value systems and they're going to be shaping, you know, the overall organization in terms of their their ability to influence it from, from those different value systems. Um, what's true is that as a species, we're moving from a, uh, an era of individuality to an era of, era of community. And that means that it's very likely that we're going to want to try and have cohesion and collaboration at a global level, okay? So that's a fundamental driver of, of humanity right now mm-hmm. is to want that. And depending on which value system that you are dominated by, you're going to try and achieve that in different ways. You know, if you were coming from layer three, then you might take to the streets with a, a machete uh, and, <laughs> you know, change it by violence. Um, if you're coming from layer four, then you'd be looking for an authoritarian solution where you or the organization you belong to can have absolute strict, rigid control over what everybody on the planet does. Um, mm. If you were coming from layer five, then you'd probably be looking to do it in a way that's going to make you a lot of money and make you very successful. Um, and, you know, maybe like, for example, coming out with a vaccine that's going to make you billions and billions of dollars um, and not actually appreciating the human impact in the process. Uh, and layer six, you know, uh, would be looking to do it by making friends with everybody and uh, talking a lot about peace and a lot about what needs to be rebalanced on the planet. And and you can see all of that when you look around at the moment. Um, what is going to be most effective in solving the problems that we face as a species on this planet right now is for that globalist push to be shaped by the most complex layer of consciousness that we're capable of rolling out. Mm-hmm. And and right now, when you look around the world, you can see evidence of you know the most complex um, value system that we're capable of rolling out right now, which can dominate the world in some way, has been layer five. And, and layer five's done that through the threat of nuclear war and by you know selectively invading uh, countries for strategic advantage and killing a bunch of people. Um, layer six um, is, of course, pushing all that away and saying, you know, we, we, we don't want these wars anymore. We really have to collaborate. Um, and what we're seeing come through at the moment is a lot of regressive messages through as, as people slip from, like, you know, entering layer six, they're slipping 
backwards to layer four and the authoritarian kind of stuff comes out and, and you'll get statements mm. like, you know, we really need to stop cutting down the trees and we really need to stop polluting the atmosphere. And if you don't do it right now, you know, it's going to be big trouble. So do what you're told. <laughs> yeah, so, so you get yeah. a, re- a real mixed message like that. Uh, and then you've got, you know, from the, the, the uh, what's left over from the scientific industrial era, era, you've got a whole lot of people with a whole lot of money who have become very influential because of that. Who who come from a mixture of different value systems again, um, although you know predominantly layer five because uh, often that's what's allowed them to be successful, uh, and uh, and they're looking to profit from what's going on at the moment. You know they're looking to profit from the problems that the world has, uh, and uh, and they're also playing out their own fears. I mean you've got to remember too that in layer sorry in all of the first tier layers, so one through six, fear is a big driver as well. Uh, and it's only when we go into second tier that fear drops away. So, you know, you've got very rich people who are very afraid of overpopulation, you know, because it's going to get in the way of, right. of, of their life and what they want to do to be successful. Um, and, you know, fear of, of different political systems like communism or socialism and those sorts of things. Um, so it's, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's very complex. You've got to appreciate yep. that there are multiple value systems involved here, not just one value system. You've got to appreciate that one of the fundamental drivers for our whole species is to get together at a global level and kind of try and make things work. And everybody's going to be coming at that from the angle of their dominant value system, which means that you're going to get you know, pure power plays. You're going to get authoritarian attempts to do it. You're going to get... Uh, profit-making attempts to do it, and we're seeing all that being rolled out at the moment. Um, one of my old spiral dynamics teachers, Don Beck, who was one of the authors of the, of the book, you know, he used to say that during this time towards the end of the first tier, we're going to see every uh, character from history come back and walk the streets, you know, and that was his way of saying that all these value systems are going to flare up at the last minute because they're all trying mm. to kind of save their their you know their egos and existence i guess yeah so it's a very interesting time um one thing's for sure though is that if if you spend too much time focusing on these issues uh you're kind of missing the point the point is to actually look ahead to look at what's emerging as as you know new evidence of more complex and more peaceful and more capable ways of living as human beings on this planet they're the things to focus on right now and if you go down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories you're going to waste a whole lot of your time and probably miss the boat actually yeah i mean it's it, it feels like you know i've definitely found certain uh value in informing myself about some of the behind the scenes things of uh, what's going on and and various uh you know the way sort of the world works or has worked up until this point in certain ways but for me it is a little bit like i recognize that it's almost like a junk food habit or something yeah like there are plenty of times where i um am focused on things that are exciting to me and seem like um the future like regenerative agriculture or various different things but then there's this sneaking kind of uh craving for this junk food of like oh what's going on with this drama and i felt like it probably has something to do with uh you know my own part of my own healing you know uh i i definitely feel like um that's part of the reason why I, i can still be attracted to some of the to sort of trying to look into the darkness is just probably some of my own shadow work that needs to be done i think you're absolutely right there and you can use those things as tools for your own developmental process you know by noticing okay what is it that i'm actually getting drawn to at the moment and 
what is it about me that's resonating with that? You know, and then go inside and look mm-hmm. inside and say, okay, there's actually part of me that's a little authoritarian, or there's part of me that's a bit power hungry. You know, that I need to to give some attention and do some healing around. Yeah. So so you, yeah, you know, everything can be useful in its own way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting how you described, you know, how you see all that stuff because that's part of the thing that I think I I you know, brought me to that question is, you know, when I would take in some of this information about, let's say, you know, like a globalist agenda type thing, I would see language in it that did seem like, okay, yeah, I see there is something here that does seem like there is, could potentially be a pop, a good intention or something. Yeah. But then mixed into it, there's some weird forms of like complete control and surveillance and domination. And it's sort of like, I've recognized in myself like during my time of transition from one layer to another that my mind wants to have complete control and domination through that process because it feels so disconnected from any sort of structure or path that it wants to just somehow lock down and have a complete control but ultimately it can't because it's an uncontrollable territory you know it's this territory of transition where there is no structure um yeah. And so that, I guess, is one way I sort of related it on like a microcosm, macrocosm sort of level. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And I think one of the things that is most difficult for many people at the moment is uh, the attempts by uh, organizations and people who are dominated by layer five, scientific, industrial, kind of personal success uh, thinking and behavior, because it can be so exploitative, you know, the, the and it... Every value system is amazing and useful in the right context. So I don't mean this is a criticism of layer five, but I just want to point out that layer five will do whatever it takes in order to reach its goals. And it's generally the communal value systems that create the moral structures that we live by. So the stability of the communal uh, value systems brings us these you know, moral guidelines. And then when we bust out into the individual value systems, usually we, we're escaping the limitations of, that, of those structures and we want to escape them. We want to do our own thing. So with the individual oriented value systems, they're usually wanting to break the rules, you know, break the, the moral codes and see what they can do on their own. You know, what if I do it my way? What if I find my own truths? Uh, that's just a fundamental yeah. aspect of the individual-oriented value systems. And so Layer 5 has been very much like that. And right to its death, Layer 5 will be trying to profit from whatever's going on around it, you know. So even when it sees all of the structures that it's sort of built its life around falling apart, it'll be still be still be going, okay, you know, the world's falling apart because of this pandemic and uh, the economy is going to hell, but... Maybe if I come up with a vaccine that can make me a lot of money, you know, I can get really rich and powerful <laughs> mm-hmm. in the process. And so yeah. that's exactly what we're seeing, you know. Uh, and mm-hmm. the every, most people probably will be familiar with the the concept of, you know, whitewashing or greenwashing, you know, as it's often called these days, is dressing something up to look like something else in order to, to benefit from it. And so uh, we know that Layer 5 is very, very good at that. It's very, very good at making something look like one thing, but then on the inside, it's different, you know, and this is where the, the whole idea of the corporate image came from. It's to look good on the outside and then doesn't so much matter what's going on on the inside of the corporation. 
Um, and so we should expect anyone who's being driven by layer five at the moment to be trying to dress up what they're doing in such a way that it will appeal to most people. And if most people are all of a sudden starting to think differently about the planet and about nature uh, and about themselves, then maybe we should make it look like that because then we'll get their money as well. And this, mm-hmm. is, this is why you're seeing things with these strange mixed messages, you know. And, and maybe the message actually sounds really good, but you just get this feeling that something's not right about what the organization's doing. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's quite possibly what's going on. So another area that's intriguing to me that I think you have done a fair bit of research into is the climate change uh, area. And it seems like, is there something similar going on there where there's the climate change, like the strong desire to, uh, you know, fix the climate change thing seems to be a very strong layer six motivation am i right and but is there a sort of a shadow aspect of four that comes into it where it's like we need to get off fossil fuels right now and we need to do the green energy and we need to do it my our way yeah and it doesn't care what you i don't care what you think about it with um um... and also even the sort of almost religious aspect of not being able to question the mainstream narrative around it and really have a complete discussion about the cycles of the solar minimum and maximums and all of these other aspects that play into it. Yeah, it's a big story and and one that I've been thinking about doing another episode or two on in the near future. Um, It's funny you should talk about strong desires because the, the guy who actually was the first head of the United Nations Environment Program, his name was Strong, Maurice Strong. And uh, when you start to look at the history of how all that unfolded and the whole global warming movement um, and, and the people behind it, it, it just it starts to show up these differences in value systems and the mixed bag of value systems, you know, with one message being put out. But then you look at the behavior of the people behind the message and it doesn't fit with what they're saying. And certainly Maurice Strong was an example of that. Um, just very quickly. So he was the first uh, head of the UNEP, as I said, and... Um, led the first big conference that they had, I think, in South America uh, around the, the global warming issue and pollution and stuff. And he'd made his money out of um, cattle farming and fossil fuel-based activities and was still doing that at the time. Okay, so straight away from a values perspective, you've got to say, okay, that doesn't seem right. You know, this guy's leading this organization that's supposedly pushing for a different world, but he's made his money and continues to make his money through all the things that he's saying have to change, Right. And he was saying that the industrialized countries have to be disempowered. Um, And he's even on record in a video, which is still on YouTube, saying that people should have licenses before they're allowed to breed. Um, So they they give you some insights into who he was as a person. He got caught out taking a million dollar bribe uh, in the Middle East during the um, food for oil uh, deals that were going on with Iraq years back and as a result of being caught out taking that check uh, he fled he left his job at the UN and he fled to China and lived out the rest of his life in China he's passed away now but he was he had very strong connections uh, I understand to the um, Chinese Communist Party um, and uh, and clearly he had some pretty serious personal moral issues you know which which led him to leave the job and, and flee so that he didn't get prosecuted uh, for taking bribes when he was working for the United Nations so you know that's just one very very small example which tells me that okay this is probably not exactly as it looks when you know this whole 
whole process. And then as I've researched the climate issue more and more, and with my understanding of how disciplines change as we move through these ages dominated by different value systems, I can see that throughout the scientific industrial era, all of our scientific disciplines went very, very deep in very, very narrow areas of knowledge. And of course, that deepened our knowledge in a whole bunch of different areas. But what was lost in the process was an understanding of how these areas of knowledge are connected with each other. And so we've ended up with a climate science, which is rigidly um, linked to what goes on on planet Earth and knows absolutely nothing about any climate influences, you know, um, which which seem to be coming from off the planet, except for the radiation of the sun. And so our our sort of mainstream climate science has completely missed uh, the drivers, the key drivers of our climate on the planet, which are uh, interstellar radiation and the behaviour of our local sun. Um, and that that has put us into a very tricky situation because sometime within the next 10 years, uh, this is going to come out and people are going to realise that they've been sold a you know, an incorrect story and whether that was an intentional thing um, and, and quite possibly it was by some people or whether it was just a factor of, you know, the evolution of value systems and our understanding changing in a natural way. And I, I'd suggest it's a combination of both of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, what it's going to do in, you know, probably I'd say with some time between now and 2032, uh, in fact, probably before then, probably between now and about 2028, there's going to be a sudden mass realisation that the science was wrong and this story that we've been sold about, uh, you know, the global warming trend and, and uh, all the science which is in and the science that completes so you don't need to look at it anymore and, and you know, there's no argument so stop arguing. People are going to realise that holy, you know, that, that actually was wrong and now we're moving into a, a period of uh, cold, a mini ice age as part of the grand solar minimum that's going on. Uh, and I've spoken about this in detail before on, on past uh, Future, Sense pod- Future Sense podcasts and I'll, I'll do some more in the future. Um, so, um, you know, and, that, and that's one example of a whole bunch of things uh, on the planet at the moment which aren't what they seem. And this it mm. comes back to, um, in, in many respects, the nature of Layer 5 and its capacity to bend the rules, break the moral codes, and do whatever it takes in order to achieve a goal, okay? Um, and then justify all of those things it's done by saying, well, look at the outcome. You know, the outcome justified the means. Um, and you can apply this to any industry you want to look at, you know, whether it be war fighting or the pharmaceutical industry or whatever. Um, we've seen mm-hmm. this same behaviour over and over again, where whereby the original focus of a system, which was you know to serve humanity in some way, has been bent around so that it's now uh, built around an intent of success for an individual or a small number of individuals. And so we've we've been left with a whole bunch of systems, you know, including our our climate advisory system, our pharmaceutical system, you know, you name it, our government systems, which no longer actually do what they were originally designed to do. Um, our pharmaceutical system doesn't do what it was originally designed to do. It, it just makes people richer and it ke- actually keeps people mm-hmm. sick by not curing them, but just keeping them well enough to keep buying the pills, you know. Um, yeah. And, and, and this yeah, is, that's another... Yeah. 
that that's another story. But okay. but what I'm trying to say is that underpinning yeah. all of those stories is this this one theme of exploitation, um, and it's you know nothing is good or bad unless you actually filter it through one of the value systems, and what's good or bad looks different to each value system. So. Um, for the people that have been doing this, it's been fine. It's been quite acceptable to their their coding, and it's been part of the human journey from you know the first emergence of humanity and life as hunter gatherers to where we are today and on into the future. We've had to to traverse that terrain, uh, and with any aspect of of the situation you want to look at, you'll find that there are good points as well as what seem to be bad points is you know around them also so yeah. it just comes back to human nature and um and the, so there's good reasons why you and many other people aren't feeling quite right about the covid situation they're not feeling quite right about climate change they're not feeling quite right about yeah. government systems and elections for good reasons uh, and this is why yeah. our values are changing right now because these things were useful for a time they reached their peak and then once they roll off the peak, they start to actually do more damage than good. And we're right at the end of that cycle for the scientific industrial era where it's doing so much damage now that people are saying, this has got to change. And that's what's driving the, yeah. the evolution of our values. Are you familiar with uh, Dr. Zach Bush? I am, actually. I, you know, I hadn't taken a lot of notice of him until just within the last week actually and uh, a friend of mine one of my mm. old spiral dynamics teachers uh, christopher cook from the uk turned me on to him and said just take a look at this video so i went and watched this video and uh there's some evidence of second tier intelligence there so yeah i'm very excited about zach bush right now yeah yeah me too he's i've been sort of obsessed with him for since you know the summer here i stumbled upon one of his uh, interviews, I think in June and ever since I've just been listening to every interview with him I can find. And it really seems like, you know, there is this paradigm shift coming in how we even understand, uh, you know, viruses as a form of and, and germ theory versus terrain theory and this, the Absolutely. idea of illnesses and infections and all of these things and, uh, viruses as maybe a form of genetic upgrade yeah, very interesting. And, a, and a, an environmental signaling, you know, a sort of a messaging system versus some yeah. sort of straight-up pathogenic infectious yeah, it's thing. A, it's an absolute uh, shift of worldview. You know, he's speaking very, very solidly from layer six, uh, I can see, and he's very agile, so he'll shift around and talk from a scientific, scientific perspective as well. And um, I, it looks to me also that he's poking into second tier at times and, you know, talking from, from layer seven. It's always hard to know these things unless you really sort of meet and get to have a decent conversation with a person. But that's how it looks to me, um, that he's, he's probably at least in transition from six to seven. And I think he's got a, a, a massive amount of useful information to pass on and some really, really useful different perspectives uh, for people to take notice of. And one of them, as you just said, is this idea that... Um, you know, the, the virus is bad, you've got to kill it, uh, that we're being sold at the moment. Well, in fact, it's not even alive, so you can't kill it. <laughs> um, but if we look at human history, then some of the most useful things that have ever happened to our species have come through that uh, DNA transfer via a virome, a virus. Uh, and mm -hmm. Zach Bush, you know, as, as I'm sure you've heard, has um, been telling the story of things like the evolution of placentas, which allowed 
you know, mammals to come into being came from a virus which transferred some genetic material uh, and made that possible. Uh, and there are many, many other examples that he gives in his videos. You know, I highly recommend his work at the moment. Uh, he, he's done a great presentation called The Virome, which I've been looking at recently. Um, really, really useful information. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating stuff. And it, it it's... You know, and and it's exciting, but as exciting as it is, it's also, um, you know, it's one of those things where you wonder how long is it going to take before this is, you know, accepted or common knowledge or integrated into these systems. Yeah. Because, um, you know, it, it can be so hard to encounter all these situations, whether it's about masks or vaccines or fear around illnesses and death and you know, have some sort of graceful approach, like having a certain perspective that's so far separated from the mainstream paradigm and, you know, how to sort of like uh, embody that and communicate it while still, well, not totally, um, you know, rejecting people for, for what they still believe do you get what i'm trying to say i, know I do absolutely kind of yeah you know it's, but. yeah it's it's always a challenge during these times of transition between value systems on the planet you know and if we look back to the agricultural transition to the scientific industrial you know people were uh, jailed and sort of burnt at the stake for saying certain things that came from the new worldview because they didn't fit the old worldview and I guess yeah. the the modern equivalent of that is uh, things like Julian Assange being, uh, you know, imprisoned without uh, any legal due legal process. Um, people getting chucked off YouTube and banned from you know various internet sites and those sorts of things. So these are the sort of modern day equivalents of that, and it makes it difficult when you're a pathfinder of change. And it, it's a real balancing act to be speaking publicly, you know, providing useful information about different perspectives and new ways of doing things. Uh, and not actually being branded as a, a heretic and you know uh, silenced mm. by by the old system. So um, I think Zach Bush is doing a, a really good job at that at the moment. Uh, and for for everybody who's listening, you know, um, probably most, if not all, of the listeners to this kind of thing are, are change makers in the world. Uh, it really does pay to to think about that balance and getting the balance right. And uh, that is also one reason why. Um, you know, I don't go down these conspiracy theory uh, holes too much in my podcast. I mean, apart from the fact that it, it, it really just spreads fear anyway, which is not useful. Um, yeah. You also, you know, run the risk of being shut down and all the good things that you have to say. You know, people miss out on those as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in terms of what you just said, I mean, throughout history, there is evidence that there have been extreme measures taken um, against sort of these, um, you know, people that are coming out with information or displaying traits of the, the, the next paradigm. Um, and there obviously is various efforts to silence things and surveil people and potentially mandate certain things or whatever. So, and obviously these transitions between value systems are very chaotic and there is a lot of disruption and, so obviously nobody knows exactly what's going to happen, but when you contemplate this transitionary period, I mean, what types of things is it reasonable to prepare for? You know, where is that line between being fearful and just simply trying to look at things for what they are and consider actual 
potential outcomes and consequences as far as whether it's authoritarian measures or uh, censorship and surveillance or various different things or just simply uh, natural disasters or um, the electric grid going down. You know, where's the line between like conspiracy theorists and prepper and just sort of common sense, like how bad can we imagine that things might get, I guess? Yeah, um, really good question. I, I guess my first response to that would be to uh, find your path. You know, everybody has a path uh, that that is... Uh, laid down for them to some extent in terms of, you know and and you might even say by by their own choice before incarnating on this planet uh, and you know by tuning into what's right for us individually we'll be taken to the places we need to be and we'll be brought the information we need to have in order to fulfill you know the things that we've come here to fulfill and i think that that first and foremost is really the best um kind of compass or direction finding advice that I can give. Mm. Um, if you start to become fearful and think, you know, do I need to buy a generator or, you know, a semi-automatic rifle and this kind of stuff, then you, you go down that rabbit hole of fear and you completely lose your connection to your, your true self and your true path. And that's really the worst yeah. thing you can do, you know, um, to, to, um, to end up like living in a bunker uh, somewhere um, and wasting your life on this beautiful planet. So I think first and foremost, you know, be in the world, be where you feel to be and do what you feel is, is right for you first and foremost. Um, in terms of how bad things can get and, and uh, how to approach that, I think um, the way these sorts of major transitions usually pan out is you get small pockets of the future appearing and... That's you know one of the things I say about the Future Sense podcast is the future's already here. You know that that famous quote from William Gibson I think was the future yeah. is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. So if you look around and you know what to look for, you'll find the future. You know you'll find future ways of living. You'll find future ways of of uh, relating to other human beings, and they're all out there right now. So um, in the process of finding your own path, you know seek out the people that you resonate with and you'll find pockets. I mean, I, I'm living in you know, Byron Shire in northern New South Wales in Australia where, you know, this this whole shire really is a pocket of people who decades ago realised that there were different ways to live and they came here to try and practice that. And so now we've got a, you know, a reasonably sustainable pocket of uh, largely layer six kind of uh, folks and a good, you know, a sprinkling of, of second tier uh, who are living very differently than most people live on the planet and doing it quite successfully. You know, there are local organic food growers and there are markets where you can go buy that stuff uh, without the sort of um, huge structures of middlemen and in the supply chains and those sorts of things. And when I look at what I know about what's probably coming over the next two decades, you know, I think the best thing you can do is to find, find your people uh, and, you know, get as sustainable as you can be. Um, so, you know, sometime, if I had to put a time frame on it, I'd say that uh, probably, what is it now, 2020, I think within the next six to eight years, you ought to look at finding where you need to be, finding folks that you resonate with, 
and um, you know diving into your own personal path and doing whatever it is that you feel you're here to do whether you're a, a healer or a, a dentist or whatever you know do, do your thing and do it well and do it surrounded by people that you resonate with in a place that you you feel like you belong um, I I have seen uh, predictions from sources I regard as reliable of um, the implications of the the coming climate change uh, which um, at this stage is still giving us spikes between hot and cold uh, conditions but eventually will settle down and certainly um, some astrophysicists that I, I trust are saying by 2028 it's going to be really really clear that okay we're entering into a cooling phase here if we look back to previous cooling phases like um, the Maunda minimum and those sorts of things not the whole planet went freezing cold all at once. There were still there were some places that actually got hot during those periods and stayed warmer. Mm. Um, but overall, you know, the northern hemisphere in particular was was fairly heavily cooled, and you know, at some point the the um, Thames froze over for a while and that kind of thing. And and that's going to interrupt food production because a lot of the places where we're growing our food at the moment are in climates that are working okay but those climates are changing so uh, we've already got some food shortages uh, on the planet that's going to get worse and the best thing we can do is to find a community where we can become locally sustainable as much as possible and that means you know food growing and energy production in particular i think Uh, and communities will grow naturally and you'll get a you know a mix of people attracted to a community who bring all the different skills like you know health and well-being medical uh, and those sorts of things that a community needs. So a lot of that stuff just happens naturally. But I think the big things that we should be looking at are uh, localized energy production and also um, food supplies that have fairly short uh, supply chains, you know, where that ideally is grown locally, organically, or it doesn't have to travel too far. Um, mm-hmm. Because once once the climate change does start getting more severe then it's going to be more difficult to grow food at times it will be more difficult to travel Um, and uh, the the disruption to large concentrations of people who are still living very much according to the old value systems um, you know I think they're going to be significant so you you don't want to be um, in a place where you know everything's people haven't been preparing they haven't been understanding what's going on and they're getting caught out um yeah right and, uh, and you're dependent on them for certain food items yeah exactly whatever. and I, I think covid's been a wonderful little uh introduction to that you know all of a sudden mm-hmm. yeah you go to the supermarket and what you want isn't there you know we're not used to that how did that happen yeah um and it's all the all the early signs have come with the covid disruption if you look at what's happened and you start to think about okay what if that happened but it was 10 times as bad you know how would we be what would we need to do um, and in the process of all of that, you know, I don't want to kind of uh, encourage a prepper um, mentality in the classic sense right. of that word. Um, what I want to encourage is how do you, how do we make ourselves more reliable and sustainable uh, at a personal level, so that we can then help others? You know, um, yeah. And of course, you know, even through simple things like uh, broadcasting information on podcasts, you're helping people all around the world, um, and. Uh, because of the the spread of people who are like that conga line I often talk about, you know, like a 
the conga where people dance in a line. You've got people who are up the front of the line and people down the back of the line, a whole bunch of people in the middle. So it's up to the folks who are up the front of the line in terms of this change process to realize, okay, here's what we need. Uh, and then do what we can to support those people who are further back down the line from us and maybe don't have the insights, don't have the, the uh, early opportunities to change and those sorts of things. How can we create systems to help them along through the same process as well? Mm, yeah, that's great. I appreciate the insight about following the path. That's a good reminder that you know we don't need to try to <laughs> control and think about uh, exactly what uh, we need to do to react to all this. It's like if you're staying in alignment with your path, that stuff sort of takes care of itself. Exactly. Um, but exactly. also, I mean, for me personally, you know, as far as the kind of prepper thing. Um, I don't resonate with the, you know, the prepper in the traditional sense of the term like you're talking about, but I find myself as, as on my sort of journey of transition into a, a layer six sort of deal, um, have just found myself naturally attracted to things that you're talking about as far as just sort of a realization of shit. I don't know much about the land around me. Like, what species of plants can I eat? What are the mushrooms I can eat? You know, how do I hunt these animals around here? Um, you know, how how would I set up a permaculture garden? Or you know, I just find myself myself naturally attracted to um, foraging and hunting and learning about um, the land and feeling more connected and connected to some feeling of security within the environment and the community. Um, not like I'm dependent upon a pineapple coming from halfway around the world, yeah. you know, for, for my lunch. Not that I don't love a pineapple, but you know what I mean? It's just sort of the realization of how fragile and um, disconnected everything is, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we also need to look to new technologies as well. I mean, there's some great stuff coming through at the moment, like um, automated farming setups you know and, and indoor farming vertical farming those sorts of things which can allow us to grow things that might not normally grow in in a particular environment you know yeah um so um it, you know i guess the point i'm trying to make is it's not about um getting back to basics and and making sort of uh, furniture out of sticks uh it's mm -hmm. also about using our technology to the to the best ability you know that we can and uh, and having building things which are um, are going to help us along the way. Uh, I think another uh, risk that we need to be aware of is the risk of um, increasing cosmic radiation and how that can impact both our well-being and also um, the technologies that we're using. Um, there's a big uh, sunspot uh, facing Earth right at the moment, which if it, if it had a big cough, you know, it could wipe out uh, our electrical systems for a while. So we need to take those things into account. Um, and I, I believe that all the technologies we need to survive and thrive during the, the times ahead are probably already here right now. Uh, some of them mm -hmm. are probably being suppressed, but um, in good time, you know, they'll become available as well. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Um, yeah, it's interesting what you say about farming because it does – I mean, do you see um, – there's a lot of ideas of technology wise that seem to be so like carbon sucking machines for example uh there are people who are talking about using carbon sucking machines to pull carbon out of the atmosphere to help climate change but then you find certain things like regenerative agriculture where yeah. 
these cover crops and these different principles can actually sequester carbon from the atmosphere into the soil. So it's almost like you're trying to create something that can already be um, done naturally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I I don't uh, question the fact that we've damaged our atmosphere with pollution. There's no doubt that we've done that. But um, I don't think carbon is the issue that, that a lot of people are saying it is, uh, to be honest. You mm -hmm. know, um, if uh, as the grand solar minimum progresses, we're going to get an increase of um, low-level cloud cover on the planet, which is going to be one of the key cooling mechanisms. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, we may well, you know, if, if there was any sudden... Uh, extremely effective activity to reduce global warming on the planet, it may actually work uh, counter to our needs in the future. I guess that's what I'm trying to say uh, as we go mm. through this cool period that right. seems to be approaching, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time here, um, but it's great talking to you. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty more stuff that I would love to talk to you about, but um, yeah, so uh, can people expect a, a new episode of future sense coming out anytime in the near future um i've actually been uh thinking about maybe doing one on on the globalists uh which we sort of covered pretty well in this mm. uh so i might have a listen to this and see if whether i, I need to add anything to what i've said but uh, i'll certainly put this episode out through the future sense channel uh probably in two parts uh given the length of it um as as i've done before when you and i have spoken and I really appreciate this opportunity to talk to you. I'm going to be traveling over the next few weeks, uh, as I mentioned, up to central Queensland to visit my um, Aboriginal relatives up there and, and do some plant medicine exploration. Um, so it may well be that uh, this is the, the only episode that comes out within the next uh, two to three weeks, and I'll get something out after that, I, I, I expect, yeah. Uh, can I Very also, cool. well, just before I close, can I just uh, give my cousin yeah. Rob McDonald a plug for this artwork uh, in the background here? Yes. Um, Rob lives up on the Sunshine Coast here in Australia. He's an amazing artist. Um, you can find him, Robert McDonald, uh, artist. I'm sure if you just Google that on the web, you'll find his stuff. It all kind of looks uh, very swirly and and uh, interdimensional and psychedelic like that. Thank, thanks, Rob. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's awesome stuff. Um, if you do do the Globalist episode, I, I realized one sort of aspect of it that I – curious about that you don't need to answer right now but just to put it into your mind is the sort of like what how does the graves model uh, give us confidence that we're not going going to descend into some hunger games reality of uh global control and domination and sort of that sort of dystopian future um that's something that's interesting to me yeah. so okay just uh, thanks, Jacob. <laughs> just I'll take that on board. There. And I and I think I know that I have peers that are wondering the same thing. You know that we talk about like, yeah, we kind of feel like there's this positive sense that things are going to uh, evolve to these these higher layers, and that there won't be this sort of dystopian reality. But there's this still some sort of background question of like, is that really what's going to happen, or are we just screwed? You know. Um. <laughs> I, you know. <laughs> Just very quickly, there are dystopian realities happening on this planet every day. Um, you know, most of us don't get to see them because we live in comfortable places, but uh, they're out that's there. A great point. So, so it's not like yeah. it's some weird thing that's going to pop up that we haven't experienced before. It's you know, it's uh, it's out there. Um, 
and it's true that we need a certain amount of tension in order to drive the change. It's just a matter of how much tension we need and whether we can consciously, yeah. you know, choose the change. Yeah. Yeah, where the, what you said is a perfect example of there could be small, sustainable layer six and seven communities while simultaneously there is a dystopian yeah. uh, reality existing in parallel with that. Absolutely. It's a matter of you know, uh, getting to the point where you, you have the capacity to choose which one you want to create. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Steve. Thanks, Jacob. Great to talk to you, mate. Always. Yeah, you too, man. You've been listening to the Future Sense podcast, brought to you by the Nonprofit Agency for Advanced Development of Integrative Intelligence, part of the RD Mesh Foundation. You can find us online at futuresense.it, where you can subscribe for free, and also link to our social media accounts on Twitter and Facebook.